0: In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tug Entertainment or its partners.
1: Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections, and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. The girlfriend at principal was born out of loss. Patty's mother was murdered, and Lisa lost her mother to cancer. This forged a bond between them that nothing could shake. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website Girlfriendit.com and the movement Girlfriendit, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Dernigan on TogiNet.com.
2: Well, welcome. You are listening to Girlfriendit Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Dernigan. Lisa is still off in Israel today, walking the streets of Bethlehem, and she left me with this laryngitis. So she is going to be so sad that she missed this remarkable day with our remarkable guest. And I don't know about you, but I remember way back when being caught up in just that vortex of the Beatles phenomenon. I was in high school. I'm giving my age, which isn't good. Um, But I do remember when Howard Cassell and Frank Gifford announced during a football game that John Lennon had been shot. And I remember just the shock and how people were crying. And you would get on the, you'd hear on the news and on television, that people were grieving going over into, you know, New York, the Central Park. I think they had like 225,000 people gathered in mourning. And yet it did not stop there. The next generation still loves their songs. And I, I was cracking up this morning that, my daughter was needing help putting on her tennis shoes, and she started singing the song "Help, I need somebody." Help, not just anybody. And you, you love that the way I can sing that song with my lovely voice. Um, but she's 11, and she is belting out a Beatles song, and it just cracks me up that through the Beatlemania, it just keeps going into the next. Generation, and we we might not understand uh, why they became so popular, why their songs are so popular, but we we do love talking about it. And today we have a, an incredible guest, Ken Mansfield, which I met on a flight. Uh, Lisa and I were traveling to speak somewhere, and he happened um, to be on the same airplane, uh, sitting next to Lisa and we just laughed because that's how God orchestrates so many things where you're just, people could look at that and go, oh, that's coincidence that you're just sitting in the right place at the right time. But um, we had an opportunity to meet meet Ken and his lovely wife, Connie. And Ken is a Grammy award-winning record producer. He was a former U.S. manager of Apple Records and just a high-ranking executive for several record labels. Um, He's also a songwriter, and the author of four books. But since the 1960s, Ken has been associated with many prestigious performers, artists, including the Beatles, the Beach Boys, Waylon Jennings, James Taylor, Roy Orbison, uh, the Imperials, Judy Garland, Dolly Parton, and David Cassidy, which I love. But the list just goes on and on and on. So I just want to give you a nice, warm welcome, Ken. I'm so excited to have you on the show today.
0: Well, it's great to be back. It's good to see you again <laughs> well it it's, it's
2: funny, Ken, because um, I always tell my kids, you know it's not about you, you need to be thinking of others, but I just want you to know this show is all about me today
0: <laughs> <laughs> i could just I could just listen to you let's just keep telling the stories. It's great. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, I would do it, but obviously God made this happen with my voice today, so so you would have to do the talking, because okay. otherwise we go on and on and on about about the Beatles. So, right. well, in 1968, when the Beatles decided to set up Apple Records. Uh-huh. Um, Obviously, America was the market, and basically, you were the only executive that they knew, so going back to you were in the right place at the right time, just like Lisa and I sitting on the airplane that day, that's exactly what happened to you, so what did you think? I mean, did you really even know anything about the Beatles when you took them on?
0: Well, you know, I was an executive at Capitol Record. I was like one of their youngest uh, executives in the tower. And when the Beatles came on tour in uh, 1965, Capitol assigned me to be the guy to, to work with them over the big, you know, the chairman of the board or the, all these presidents and things like that, because uh, I was kind of this young upstart, hot shot, you know, on the label. Well, I worked with them uh on the press conferences and the Hollywood Bowl concert and all that stuff on that tour and we just hit it off uh i mean we were 20 something year old guys uh you know i didn't really get it about the beatles at that point i mean i knew how what a phenomenon it was but it just i just figured yeah they're going to be you know stars for a while and then they're just going to fade off in the distance like every other band but um and also i was kind of full of myself at the time because i was you know doing so well as, as a young executive and um I think they sensed that I wasn't in awe of them and I wasn't, you know, stumbling all over them, and they felt comfortable with me. And also. The thing that a lot of people don't realize is the Beatles growing up in Liverpool and in England, you know, like all of us, I grew up in the country up in Idaho is like California and Hollywood and all this was this magic land of surfers and convertibles. And, and uh, so they were just kind of in a way as fascinated with me as I was with them. So right away, they want to know where's Mulholland drive, you know, all these questions about Californians. And because of that, they just said, look, we have a day off at, uh, why don't you come out to the house tomorrow and just hang out and, you know, da da da. Ringo wanted to know if I could introduce him to Buck Owens because Buck was on the, on the label and just, you know, really like young guy stuff, exciting stuff. And, uh, we really hit it off, uh, personally that day, but also, uh, they liked the fact that they were working with a young executive instead of some old guy in, in a, you know, in a suit or something. So, that was the beginning of a relationship. They came back the next year on tour again, got off the plane, hey, Ken, you know, and I, I just figured they would forget all about it. And then uh, I'm I'm summarizing here for you. <laughs> and yeah. then uh, in 1960, this was in 65 and then 66 and then in 68, um, well, I just gave away my age, which you weren't willing to do, um, <laughs> In uh, in 68, um, when they decided to set up their own company, as you said, America was the most important market. So who did they know in America? You know, <laughs> uh, they sent for me. And I came over, we set it up in London, and I came back and, and ran the label for them. And the, the neat part was, aside from the business relationship, I, I became their personal liaison between the U.K. and the United States. Mm-hmm. Now, what that meant was, if Patty Harrison wanted to come in the country and go shopping, I would pick her up and, and take care of her, or if, or if Paul wanted to sneak in the country and not everybody know you know, I would make sure to get all the secret reservations and, and just take care of him and keep him shielded and all that. And just, you know, if John Lennon wanted uh, he saw a pair of sunglasses in Vogue magazine or something and saw that they you could buy them from a shop on Sunset Strip, then Okay, I would go down and get the sunglasses for him. It was just neat, you know, having that, having that kind of a thing. And then, and then later on, when um, you know they started coming on over as individuals and stuff, um, it was really neat just to hang with them. And, and in time, like especially Ringo and I, we went through all our, our, our troubles and our marriages falling apart, and and the drug problems and getting back together, and just you know having a continuous relationship with with at least a couple of them as the years went by.
2: Well, um, when you're did talking you just about...
0: ask me a question then? Because I sure gave you a long answer. If you did, no, I, I <laughs> love
2: the long answer. Um, when you're talking about your the drug problems, was it just normal? I mean, like you said, you guys were all young. You just didn't think yeah. anything of it. It was just what you did. And yeah. how long does this go on? Where you're just in this party mode that you you know till you realize, wow, we have a problem here
0: yeah well, here's the thing you know uh and and not on my defense or any of our defense but the drugs was really new to the whole scene and we the deception was that yeah you know it's not going to hurt you and you're not going to get addicted and and all that and marijuana is just cool you just chill and you lay back and you know cocaine you know, it just and so we had this big lie before us and it really you know really made you feel good you thought uh, of course years years later then we realized that some of us were you know dropping and dying and and uh, this wasn't <laughs> such a, a, a cool thing after all but we started you know the reality of it all started setting in but what happened is um it was cool it was part of the culture uh you didn't think anything about it you got totally immersed in it after a while um directly from what i think you asked me for me personally uh i never got like hooked or never got i never did like the heroin or those kind of things but um i spoke i speak at celebrate recovery you know different i speak at churches and things like that and i was speaking at a celebrate recovery uh, event in uh, uh southern california no central california big church there and the uh the pastor head of the celebrate recovery wanted to have lunch with me before the for the event that day and so we were talking about you know the people in celebrate recovery and i he asked me about my drugs in the past and i said well you know i never was really uh, i was a different kind of drug user i never really got a d de- and i thought he was going to come across the table and slug me he came up out of his chair and leaned over the table and got right in my face he said don't you ever say that in front of my people he said there is no such thing as a different kind of drug user there's no uh you know he said don't you ever give them that hook or that thing that they can think well they can do it and they can you know but like and boy Eve really set me straight that day, so we had a really good night that night because now I really knew now, you know where I was coming from. But um.
2: oh, that's interesting, Ken, because you know we only have a minute before we go into commercial okay. break. When you're talking about yeah, especially for the generation right now, especially since you know marijuana is has been legalized for medicinal use, uh-huh. that is even more so. What do they think? It's really not a problem. And now with, I think it's called spice. I should be cool oh, and no, but yeah. you know, it's, it's with all kinds of, um, synthetic things that are out there. So that is good to know that yeah. you just think, Oh, we're good with it. It's not a problem. Right. And, and yet it, it, it really is there. You don't, no one knows when they're going to, you know, who's going to be addicted. And, right. and so it it's, it's good to hear that it, that, um,
0: yeah. You know, I the it the textbooks say, you know, well, you know, marijuana wasn't that harmful and, and all that, but it—I mean, the textbooks say it does lead into other things, and it does. A starter drug, no matter what it is, eventually you get used to the thing. I like being high. Oh, well, here's this thing, and, then, and you start evolving into more and more, you know. So. Absolutely, and we're
2: yeah. going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. With Ken so My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia.
0: Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc.
1: Are you ready to
0: start rocking that woo-hoo? That only you do, because Lisa Stedman is on a mission. She will dare you, challenge you, enlighten you, provoke and empower you to bring out that inner woohoo. Lisa is an internationally acclaimed, best-selling author. She is a breakup expert, a brand consultant, CEO of Woohoo Inc., and the Woohoo Radio Network. She will show you how to take your boohoo and turn it into woohoo. Get rebellious and get real. Get your dreams
2: Welcome back to Girlfriend at Radio. We have Patty Wyatt and we have our guest, Ken Mansfield, a Grammy Award-winning record producer and former U.S. manager of the Beatles. And, Ken, we had to, like, go into a break. That was so rude of us right in the middle of a drug talk. So um, we are going to come back. And I, I just wanted to uh, ask you the question in your new book, Stumbling on Open Ground, Um, it was just released this month, as a matter of fact, on the 15th, by Thomas Nelson Publishing. Uh, There was a part in there that you talk about just falling forward onto the floor, and um, you were looking at pictures, and you just crumbled them in your hands, and you began to cry when you heard the news of John Lennon's death. And... I thought it was interesting because you said i didn't even cry like that when your own dad died, right. and you can't you can 't remember really anything that happened the rest of the afternoon so let 's go back i just I think that's so interesting that john lennon i mean his his death had such an impact, just like I said at the beginning of the show yeah. on so many people and just grieving and mourning and so what what happened that afternoon for you
0: you know I think um when that happened, I think a lot of us didn't really quite understand why it touched us so much. You know, one person, a rock and roll star, and how everybody says they know where they were when John F. Kennedy was shot and when John Lennon was shot. Uh, there's been a lot of you know major events with major people over the years, but for it struck so many people. And I think part of it, and I'm really kind of getting out there in the abstract, is I think we sensed the loss of what could have been. What was to come from such a talent, you know, to see, because uh, John was just, you know, kind of in turmoil a lot. And I think a lot of us felt, and especially those of who knew him, that when he got it kind of all sorted out and it went into focus that it was just going to be phenomenal, you know, w- where he was going to end up with all that. Um, the day he was shot, I had just set up a new uh, offices in Hollywood for my new production company, And I thought, you know, I've got to put up some stuff on my walls in my office here. So I started pulling boxes down off the top shelves. And the first box I pulled down was a box that had a bunch of stuff in it when I was with the Beatles and Apple. And a box fell down and it broke open and the pictures just spread out on the floor. And I'm down on my knees starting to pick them up. And the picture right on top was this picture of John Lennon looking straight at me. It was eight by ten, so I mean, it was it was big, just looking right at my face, and I went, "Whoa," you know. And the phone rang at that moment, and I was producing an artist named Nick Gilder at the time, who'd had a big hit with Hot Child in the City, and Nick was a giant John Lennon fan. And the phone rang, and it was Nick, and he was sobbing uncontrollably, and told me what had happened. And I hung up the phone, and I, I'm on my knees, and I'm looking up at this picture. And a strange thing happened to me at that time because I'd known John, I'd worked with him, you know, and uh, all that. But the minute that happened, I moved back kind of in the fabric of everybody's sadness. I didn't feel like I had any personal right to feel any sadder than anybody else. I couldn't take it as my own loss. I took it as everybody's loss. And um, I think that's why I responded so emotionally to it. And uh, everything was in a blur, you know, for quite a while. Ringo, uh, Ringo went a, went right away to. Uh, a lot of people don't know these things, but went right away to uh, New York to be with Yoko. And then, uh, of course, he was devastated, and of course, you know, it put a whole new light on his own personal safety. And so he he called and a group of about uh, three three guys. We got together when he came back and and had dinner and. Uh, harry nielsen was one of them and harry just finished popeye so we went to a private screening on the movie lot to see that and then we went to this nice restaurant in a back room and and uh, he just kind of wanted to get away from get away from it all but he had a threat on his life on the plane somebody said they were going to assassinate him when he got off the plane in la and uh and sure enough when he got off i mean the guy was there but the cops were already alerted and they just grabbed him but it wasn't like a But anyway, that's kind of uh, that's just kind of like what was going down then. It was very personal. Mm It was all you know. It was more than a star. It was part of our life. So
2: (laughs) why why were so many people wanting and putting threats on their lives and why Why, why why do you think that they yeah that people were out to kill them
0: out to kill them
2: yeah why was why were there threats on their lives and and why I mean I know Chapman
0: obviously yeah.
2: people are disturbed but what was happening then that that people wanted to kill them
0: well, I don't think that people wanted to kill the Beatles individually or that much or anything I just think these were a few warped you know people who had their own delusions and really wanted that fame and all that, and I just think that um John's, you know, Chapman shooting John just probably clicked with somebody else that just kind of had these delusions. And uh, I don't know if this fellow, I personally don't think this fellow was serious or he wouldn't have announced that he was going to be at the airport and that he was going to do it, you know. Uh, right. He, he was asking to be caught and put away. I just think he wanted a little bit of fame, but maybe didn't really want to do anything bad. So, right. But it did. Yeah. I wrote, you know, I wrote in the book about the, when that happened with Chapman shooting John Lennon. There was a line that was crossed uh, by that happening, and it took all of us in the industry out of that thing of like our you know, being invincible, and and it just uh, it just changed everything. Uh, you, you, I don't know, it just put a whole different feeling on on the celebrity and all that, and just your
2: own mortality.
0: Yes, well, that was the point of, of opening the book with that, is to, it was the disc, uh, to open the discussion on our, on our mortality. You know, we just never know.
2: So how was that for you? I mean, I, I know your, your story of, of just redemption and, and, you know, just literally God allowed you to hit rock bottom. So yeah. tell us a little bit about, about that, about your story from that point, how you, you know, what you lost.
0: After I hit rock bottom?
2: well how do you hit rock bottom
0: (laughs) (laughs) well uh, i guess i started i I always like to say i started believing my own press releases and and, uh, and, uh, we we just you know we did feel like we were invincible as far as (laughs) our our great lives and everything was going to go on forever and and the drugs entered the scene and of course they didn't really hurt you and we all started having a good time and pretty soon we weren't doing what we were set out to do and or god you know gave us the abilities and and talents that he gave us, we really started having a little bit too much fun. and After a while, um, uh, it's an interesting thing that I realized that with the drug scene coming in, you wanted to be with people that got high also so you could have somebody to talk to. You didn't want some goody-two-shoes hanging around, so pretty soon you want your lawyer to get stoned with you and you want your uh, dentist to get stoned. I mean, it was just that world we got in. And, And what happened is this became our peer group. Uh, and so when all of a sudden you had an important business decision or a personal decision, you went to this bunch of crazy yo-yos that were your pals. <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. and so in time I made a lot of bad decisions and, um, uh, I had set up my own company cause I thought, why am I making all the big bucks for the big corporations? I set up my own company corporation and was producing some pretty big people the day, Waylon and. David Cassidy and Don Ho and Flying Brito Brothers and stuff, but uh, my company started falling apart. I wasn't delivering. I wasn't getting the hits. I wasn't getting the big projects, and uh, uh, one day I, I lost it all. I ended up going from the, the summer homes on the ocean and servants and you know Mercedes and all that with three cardboard boxes, broke, stoner. Um, I had a guru, and uh, that was about it, and a bad reputation. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay,
2: so why did you think you needed a guru?
0: Well, you know, um, the seeking thing uh, was in my heart. I, you know, and like George Harrison, I was truly seeking a God. And it was the first thing that came along when I realized that. I just happened to be with somebody who said, well, hey, you know, you're really feeling like the, there's something more in life you need, and your life's a mess, you know. And I have this guru and the meditation and all that. If somebody would maybe w- walked up to me that same moment and said, you know, Jesus Christ is the answer, you know, come on to church with me, man, and uh, you know, dada, I would have probably gone. I just went with the first thing that came along that, that offered me uh, some relief from, from what was going on. And so I got foot, line, and sinker into that, man. I was teaching meditation. I was doing crystal healings and astral projections and, and doing, I mean, man, I was into it, really into it.
2: Isn't that interesting, though? Yeah. That, yeah. Like I you said, you'll go all that, and I still think that that's so true today because the enemy makes this other, you know, like, junk yeah. so enticing, and it's right in front of you. But it's like, yeah. no, 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 Jesus is not the answer. That that can't possibly be true. Yeah. But we'll go all this, you know, the, the, another route that just is, is even more bizarre.
0: Well, you know what so, it is, and I, I call it the Chinese uh, restaurant approach to uh, spirituality because in the New Age movement, you can really decide to pick the teaching that says um, uh, uh, uh Promiscuity is okay, you know. I mean, God is love, and when you're making love, that's okay. So that's cool, you know. And then go with. I want to also keep on getting stoned. Well, uh, this New Age philosophy says it's okay to get stoned because then you get high, you get higher, you get closer to God. What you do, uh, and then, of course, you know, everybody's doing their own thing, and so you don't be critical of each other because you're all letting each other get away with everything. So that means how, you know, kind you are to your fellow man. <laughs> and yeah. what you've done is you have, without chance, changing one thing in yourself, you have now become religious. And, you know, it's just real easy then. You just uh, find you sit around and chant and meditate, and you don't have to change anything, and you and God are pals. And right. So and, that's And
2: everybody around you is a pal, and so we would rather be with those that are around us that love what we're doing rather than oh, yeah. those that want to guide us and give us direction. Right. for for a happier consequence in the end. Yes. Right. It, and it really hasn't changed from then to till now. Well, we just have one minute before we go into okay. commercial break here, Ken. And, um, I just, what would be one, one tip? And as we go back, um, come back into the show that you could share with our listeners, um, in just as you're seeking and as you're searching, like you said, um, why why not pick a guru? Why not pick the new age? What what finally made you go in that direction?
0: Well, the first step in this whole thing is that I realized later God loved me so much that he knew that I had to go broke so I could be broken because, uh, you know, as long as everything was going okay, um, I was never going to need him. I know that. I know myself, you know. And so that was the starting point. The guru thing uh, and that all is after 10 years of that, I was getting nowhere, you know.
2: Okay, Ken, I keep interrupting you, but we will be right back after this commercial break. Stay with us.
1: This is Girlfriend on Toginet.
2: We were thriving in a youth ministry when god clearly called us out of our bible belt comfort zone to plant a church in california stadia's 90 plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed they also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like bloom a -a one-of-a-kind ministry for planters wives it's here i find deep friendships with like-minded gals who
1: want to change lives
0: Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc.
1: Are you happy with your life? Satisfied with the direction you're taking? More importantly, are you content with the results you're seeing? Then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Join host Brian K. Wright as he talks to experts in many areas relating to life success, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. Each week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. For more on Brian and the show, check out his website, briankwright.com. Each week is a dose of inspiration. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. Success Profiles Radio is a show that will clearly demonstrate the principle, if I can do it, you can do it. So don't miss this opportunity to take control of your life and your results. Success Profiles Radio with Brian K. Wright. Mondays at 5 p.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on TogiNet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa.
2: Well, welcome back, and thanks for joining our conversation today with our special guest, author and speaker, former manager of the Beatles, Ken Mansfield. And Ken, uh, you just got done talking about how you had to be broke before you realized that how broken you were. And even in your book, you talk about, uh, just the Christian walk is like controlled stumbling, and you're in constant search of an end to the aggravating and seemingly perpetual tottering of your of your spiritual walk. And so many of us can relate, and, and that, that frightens us when you think of, I don't want God to break me that way before me, before we really realize how we're going to go forward. But we can relate to that feeling of inadequacy and not being able to understand how it all works and if you can just share with our listeners from your experience in in helping what what you where you went and how you got to the point of like controlled stumbling as you put it but tell <laughs> us a little bit more about from that part that you were broken.
0: Well, you know, it's funny because after I became a Christian, I always thought sometimes I think the only prayer that God answers is break me if you must, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but um he did bring me to a point uh to my knees and i say that only because i say that he did that because he loved me so much and he knew that there was because of just the way my makeup was and i know how i was put together that he had to bring me to a point to where i would stop and 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 say okay lord <laughs> you know do what you must but what he did with me is uh i just couldn't uh I was got so broke that I in LA in California that I thought I'm going to bail out to Nashville and and start see start over there because I had all the success with producing the outlaw movement with Waylon Willie and the boys. And I just thought I'll go back there and start over again and, and I was going to go to Nashville and get more crazy and more stoned and more out there and I I hit Nashville Tennessee with my boxes and suitcases and I was a stoner, I was broke, I had my guru, had a bad reputation, all these kind of things and God put a young lady in my life almost the moment I got off the airplane. And, wow. uh, and it was so interesting because uh, she was 33 years old and never been married and uh, had decided uh, that she was going to spend a whole year just pressing into the Lord, renewing her faith and, her, and the depth of her relationship with Christ. And she had decided that it was time for her to start praying for her husband. wanted a man from the street she wanted somebody who had been had wallowed in the slime and the decadence of the world and had you know left that and knew what it was so that he wouldn't be attracted to go back into that she wanted somebody that you know had really experienced life and wasn't going to be attracted by those other things well i told her she had to be careful what she prayed for (laughs) because she (laughs) prayed me into her life and so we met and it was one of those things when you talk about God putting people together, and I don't want this to sound like, you know, oh, gosh, here's that same old story, but we did. We saw each other, and it was immediate, And but we had a very serious problem Uh Cause I had my guru, and she had her Jesus, and we couldn't continue. Uh, seemed like we couldn't finish a day in our relationship without getting the we, the way, and a way argument. And I'd say, "Yes, Jesus is a way," and she'd say, "No, He's the way." And I said, "Well, there's many ways up to the top of the mountain." And she said, "No, there isn't." You know, and we would go around and around on this. And I said, "Well, let's just meet in the middle someplace." You know, I mean, I'll change gurus for you. Come on, let's get you know, <laughs> get off this Jesus thing. Let's you know, I, Jesus in the sense master he's one of the greatest teachers of all time you know but you no know, she wouldn't budge so uh we were dating for a while and um she came she said i need to talk to you uh, one evening i said okay she said uh you know i can see how we're feeling about each other and i see where this is headed and she said i just um i cannot be unequally yoked i just can't and she said so I I have to make a decision, and I have to choose between you and Jesus, and I choose Jesus." And uh, I was just, I couldn't believe it. I mean, she'd been taking me to rock, uh, Christian rock concerts and taking me to the churches in Nashville where all the great pickers were and, and you know, witnessing to me and praying for me and meeting me to uh, introduce me to her, her Christian great friends, really cool people and all that. But that was her talking the talk, but when she walked out her walk in that moment that night, and I looked at her, and I knew how we cared for each other, and I thought, I want to want something bad enough that I'm willing to give up some, a worldly thing that I care very much about. I want to have something that I believe in that deeply. You know, I told her, I said, I changed guru's free. but well, she wasn't changing anything. She believed so deeply, and I thought, I want to have something that precious. And she brought me to the Lord. She became mm. my wife, became my wife. And uh, I like to tell people the first person I see every morning when I wake up is the person that saved my life. And. awesome. Uh, uh-huh. for- Pretty good way to start your day. And she has she has been such an encouragement when we you know we're speaking at churches. Uh part of my testimony in, includes, you know, her witness and I'll have more people come up to her afterwards sometime you know, young ladies and they starting to date or uh women in marriages that they they got married unequally yoked and they're just having so much problems and so she ended up with her own little really deep ministry, uh, at the same time within within my ministry. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, speaking of, of women coming up and and talking to her, <clears throat> you also um, you have a story in this. I just think this is such a phenomenal story how God gives us that window to be able to look into because many times you'll never see how your prayers were answered on this side of heaven. But uh, you were speaking somewhere, and a gal walked oh. up. He said when she was 15 years old yeah. at church. Now, tell us a little bit about
0: that story. Well, when when I speak at churches, it's an outreach event, and it's called The Beatles, The Bible, and Beyond. And so many people, you know, are still fascinated with the Beatles, and they kind of what what's this, the Beatles and the Bible? I don't know, you know. And if they're seeking for churches, they'll they'll come in. So we have really a uh, really large turnouts from. Uh, so many different kind of people at the events, and typically what we do at the end, if it's an evening event, is the host pastor will join me on stage, and we'll do a QA and a together where people can ask questions about my ministry, the church's ministry, or the men's ministry, or the beetle, or whatever they want to talk about. Well, we went really late one night, and because of a parking situation in the nursery or something like that, by the time pastor joined me, he was only going to have time for maybe to call on two or three people, and I don't see how he saw this this lady, because of a large church, how he saw her in the back of the room, but he called on her, and she stood up, and she said, Pastor, I don't have a question for Mr. Mansfield. I have a comment. Um, when I was 15 years old, I went to this church, and it had an incredible uh, girls' youth ministry, and... Every year we would go away for a week on this retreat, and it was just incredible. And our youth minister would have all these neat programs. She said, I remember it was a Wednesday night, and he said, tonight what we're going to do is I'm going to pass around a hat, and there's going to be some names in this hat. And you're going to draw that name out of the hat, and you are going to commit to pray for this person's salvation, because this hat is filled with a group of very decadent young people. And you're going to commit to pray for this person's salvation until you know in your heart that the prayer has been answered or you actually have empirical knowledge through, you know, reading about them or something. She said the hat that he passed around had the Beatles and the people that worked with them in it. She said me and the the three girlfriends I came with picked the same name, Ken Mansfield, out of that hat. Now, we, none of us. We don't know who Ken Mansfield was. She said, "I really wanted Paul McCartney. That's what I was. <laughs> that's who I wanted to pray for." But she said, "You know, I committed. Uh, I took that slip of paper and I put it in my Bible, and every morning I would pray for this." person, Ken Mansfield Salvation. I did this all through junior high, all through high school, all through uh, my college years. She said, I graduated from college, got out in the world, started doing really good, didn't have quite as much time to do my Bible reading every morning, didn't quite, I eventually quit reading my Bible, quit praying for Ken Mansfield, and I started having a really good time. <laughs> and I got so far out in the world and just got totally in the decadence of what the world had to offer, turned my back on my, uh, you know, on my upbringing entirely. She said, this last Last year, my life has totally tanked. I can't, I can't describe to you how horrible this year, last year in my life has been. And she said, it was just last week I just felt like God came up to me and said, you know, come back to me, my child. Remember how sweet it was when, when we were together, and I want you back. She mm-hmm. said this morning. Shall I continue? Yes. Oh, this morning I got up, uh-huh. and... I opened the newspaper, and there was an ad saying a man named Ken Mansfield, who used to be with the Beatles, was giving his testimony at this church tonight.
2: Hmm.
0: And I'm here, Pastor, to tell you I saw that God answers prayer, and I'm here to tell you I'm back.
2: Wow. That just gives me chills. How God orchestrates all of that is just so amazing, and it's so neat when he does allow you those windows. That's just amazing.
0: Yeah, it, it absolutely is. The pastor was so stunned, and I was so stunned. We stood there, we looked at you, neither one of us could say anything. We were just, whoa, you know. Uh, so it was a pretty uh, special moment. Well, I,
2: as always, our time just runs out, and there's so many other questions that I, I wanted to ask you. But you, um, you were telling us about how, Connie had just, you know, shared Jesus with you. And then you had another part of your journey that took place. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: The cancer journey?
2: Yes, your cancer journey when you were diagnosed.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, there's a, there's so much involved in something like this when a couple goes through it, and I really feel that the caregiver sometimes has the, the harder harder load.
2: And, mm-hmm.
0: and uh they're really you know kind of unsung heroes and in the in the book my new book stumbling on open ground is Connie writes an opening to each chapter and what she does is just writes a dialogue of what she was going through side by side you know and then uh she would set up my chapters on the journey of what's happening with the with the caregiver that's you know going alongside through this battle and um it it brought us it was a extreme test on a marriage because, you know, all the kind of fluffy things go out the window and you really get down to some pretty guttural realities in life. And and it's a strain. It's a strain on your finances. It's a strain on your family. It's a strain on your relationship. It's, it's just it's so many things. But, you know, God knows what he's doing. When you come out the other side, uh, we... You know, your relationship is so much tighter. She proved to me that she was an actual hero through during this, and uh, she picked up the whole load during during the, uh, the cancer battle. The name of the book is Stumbling on Open Ground, and I based this on um, Jeremiah 12.5. And it says, If racing with weir- mere men has wearied you, how will you race against horses? And if you stumble and fall on open ground, what will you do in Jordan's jungles? And I'm on. And
2: right there, Ken. I'm yep. going We have to go on a quick break okay. again. That is a great place to stop. So we yep. will be right back.
0: Thank great. You.
1: This is Girlfriend It on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend it radio right after these.
2: My husband and I have always wanted to plan a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia.
0: Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc.
1: Get ready for smart health with your host, Dr. Glenn Mia. Fridays at 2 p.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on TogiNet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa.
2: our conversation today with Ken Mansfield, former manager of the Beatles, and also speaker and author, and Ken, we just went into that commercial break. You were talking about the verse that you love, Jeremiah 12.5, and you you wrote about it in your latest book, Stumbling on Open Ground, which uh, just came out this month. And by the publishing company, Thomas Nelson. And it just reveals the faith, hope, and love in the deepest of ways, especially uh, the reality of your pain and suffering that you went through um just in your fight for cancer when you heard you were diagnosed. And it's really cool, like you said, Connie kind of opens up each chapter with what she was going through. And um, tell us a little bit more about that. you were You were finishing up on Jeremiah twelve five.
0: Yeah, because he, he asked, you know, if you stumble and fall on open ground, what would you do in Jordan's jungles? And, uh, you know, I am on open ground because I believe God in every one of his promises. You know, I, I, every word he says is true. He is God. He is God Almighty. He keeps his promises, and he loves us, and he cares for us. So when I – and so I'm on open ground. Uh, but why would I stumble if I believe this so deeply? But it happens to all of us when we get – in the really the dark throes of whether it's a cancer battle or the different trials that we go through and especially these days when there's so many things attacking us and i think what people do is they they start putting a a guilt trip on themselves because they're they're afraid their faith is weak you know and uh so this book is about doubting a god that you don't doubt it's about uh when you have trouble believing in a god that you totally believe in it's like when you're you start questioning a god that Even though you know he has all the answers, it's this head trip we go through, and, uh, you know, it's okay to tell God that, hey, I'm not having a good time here, by the way, and and I don't like what you're doing to me, and you start blaming me, and you start, you know, all these things you go through, how could you, God? You know, what that's called, that's called prayer because he wants to talk to us. He wants us to talk to him about it. He knows everything that's going on, so you're not surprising him, and you're not hiding these thoughts, or he's not getting... He knows you, and so he just wants you to let it all out, and, and you know, you've already got something bad happening. I mean, in my mind, that's like Satan beating up on me, and so why beat up on yourself? you already got Satan there. You've got, you know, God at your side. Let's Let's go go with him, and so it's okay. That is so
2: true. You you are yeah. You already have the enemy pounding on you, and yeah. then and 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 pound yeah. on us as well. That's what I love reading Psalms too, where David is yeah. exactly what you're talking about. One minute, I mean, you can look at that and go, he is so bipolar. You know, yeah, <laughs> he, he he's saying, you know, I I love you, I love you. You know, I'm dancing in the streets, and then the next minute he's screaming. You know, Kurt enemies, but, but and, and yet God found such favor in him because, like you said, he was that constant relationship, that constant right.
0: communication. <laughs> you know, I take that sentence, that, you know, he says God, David was a, a man after God's own heart, is, because when David's crying out, I think he was after God's heart, whether David was on them, the, the fire or the brimstone part of his thing, you know, uh, that's just, I love it that David starts out sometimes railing at God, but he always ends up praising God and yes. i think that is the sequence of a prayer sometime. we come we come into we come into the throne room with our stuff and by the time we leave we end up everything's clean everything's new we're brand new we're fresh we're, we're loved and we know that you know cuz god's a straight through guy you know he's the same god in our trials as he is in our blessings mm-hmm. he knows what's in charge and if we're going to believe that we can I uh, love the old testament things that we can eat from vineyards that we didn't plant, that he's going to bless us, then we yeah. have to believe that he's going to give us trials that we probably don't think we deserve. You know, you just can't pick and choose the good stuff and the what you think is the bad stuff and all that. You know, I did something really unusual uh, in my, and by the way, uh, I went through two, this is about two different uh, major cancer battles I went through. The second one was just brutal. I mean, it was something that was so over the top, something I never dreamed I would go through, and it was an all or nothing. It was here or now. There was no choice. It was just, you know, hundreds of hours of chemo, uh, mm. months of heavy radiation every day, and I mean, it was just horrible. I can't tell you how how horrible it was, and as, it, as I went into it. I made a pact with God, and I know scripturally he tells you don't do this, but I told him no matter how bad it got, no matter what happened, I was not going to bail out on him. I said, I am going to make this promise to you, so I don't have any place to go except to hang on to this promise. And, you know, and I just promised him I wouldn't back out. And, and uh, you know, he gave me the strength to see it through. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, it's a lonely thing. It's, mm-hmm. such a lo- it's such a lonely thing in cancer. You, you have people coming in and mowing your lawn, and you have people baking for you, and you have people praying for you and coming by and, and helping and all that. But, uh, and that's great, you know, and you have your wife caring for you, but there comes a point in time of the cancer when she's, you know, turned over and asleep, and all of a sudden it's just you and the pain and your face in the pillow, and it's down to you and God. Mm -hmm. And that's what this book is about. It's all between you and him. And he has a purpose in everything. And so, you know, uh, it's... It's just not that linear that people go, you know, you get cancer, you go through it, and you come out the other side, and then we all sing Kumbaya, you know. It's not, it's not like that. It evades your whole life. There's all these side trips. I often say it's like a, a house catching on fire. You know, you get the cancer, and uh, the cancer is like, let's say, the couch catches on fire in a house. Well, the couch is on fire, but the smoke goes everywhere goes through the whole house. And cancer may be in your lungs or maybe someplace, but the smoke from that thing goes everywhere. In your relationships, your finances, your marriage, your family, your life, your future, it hits everything. And that's what brings you down.
2: Yeah. Well, and it's it's so neat, like you said, though. You're through all this, and we don't understand, and we want to, you know, scream up at God, and yet... um, you know being on this side of it looking back you can yeah. see god used all that even down to putting you know connie in your in your life way back when that yeah. she's going to have to go through all this and be the caretaker how what? what encouraging words do you have to like spouses that are out there when they're walking alongside their partners during this season of you know whatever they're in right now be it some health reasons or losing their home or losing a job right well, do you have any tips for them?
0: Well, I do. Um, you know, um, it's just it gets so basic, and it, then he starts to like you feel like you're saying platitudes and stuff. But you know, he says, "Trust me." He says, "Trust me. I will turn to good what Satan meant for evil." And the thing that Connie, and I noticed, is we turn to him, and we. Realized we couldn't doubt our faith if we were, you know, we turned to him. We didn't turn to man, we turned to him. And what came out of this for me. Was I just felt like he drew Connie and I closer together, he drew us closer to him, that he was setting us up for, for great strength for, for other things, either to through this book to minister to people. Um, I, here's an interesting thing is I came out of this with like a couple <laughs> things, and the one that surprised me the most was the most powerful thing that God revealed to me during this trial because it was so extreme is... It almost felt like he told me I gave you this kind of a trial because I trust you with this bigger trial. I trust that you'll stay with me. I trust that we'll grow closer. If if I didn't feel you couldn't handle it and it wouldn't draw us closer and that we would do do good with this, I wouldn't have trusted you with it. But you had to go through something that extreme so we could really maybe do some extreme blessings, you know, for somebody else. And he told me, he said, also, you know, I don't have to explain every move to you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, yeah. So, and if if I'm going to give my wrap-up statement on this whole thing right now is, what I learned is, don't get mad at the only one who can help you.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, give us more. I, people can find out a little bit more about you by going to Girlfriend It, going to our website, mm-hmm. and there's information there. But um, tell us a little bit more about how they can find you, where they can go and buy your new book. Okay. and um And one more tip to just walk away with for this week when if for those listeners that are out there that just need some encouragement
0: well, the, anything that comes down, <clears throat> you can have all these uh Peripheral things and the reasons that maybe you're going to lose your house and, and all this and how it affects everything like that. But the thing I learned out of this, and I may be repeating myself a little bit, is when it bottom lines, it is between you and God and nothing else. So you just need to talk to Him, you need to trust Him, you need to do all the mechanical things in there, it says in the Bible, to praise Him. And, um, you know, I, I have a, a mantra that I developed a long time ago. I needed a, a street term as opposed to my biblical terms to hang on to, and it's the thing I drop down to, and then it brings me right back up to where I need to be, is I had to say to myself, either I believe or I don't. I have two choices, and those are my only two choices. And I either believe he's God Almighty, I either believe that every word the Bible says is true, or I can't pick and choose on that. You know, I can't take, well, I like this little bit or that little bit there. Either I believe or I don't. And once you make that decision, life gets so simple because then you know where you are, you know what your operating base is, you know what, you know, you know the promises you're counting on, you know what you believe in, you know where it's going. Even though you don't know where it's going, you know it's going where he wants it to go, and that's pretty good, you know. And, um, so I realized that comprehension is not a requirement of my salvation, that faith is. Mm. You know? mm-hmm. so.
2: Well, I love that, Ken, especially um, you just have to believe yeah. <laughs> or you don't. And yeah. I know um, Billy Graham has uh, one of his latest books, uh, Just As I Am, where he, he says that. He's in a park oh, says, and I... Okay. And I I love that. Uh, well, he doesn't say either you believe or you don't, but he just says, I had to finally come to the conclusion that either God's word is the truth. Yes. And it's inspired by him, and it's breathed in, but yes. just like it, just like he says, or it's not. And because we keep you know, looking at it going, do we believe this part? Do we believe this? Yes. Over here. Wow. And you either have to suck it all in and breathe it all in or... Right. And yeah. choose, and that is that is so true, and it's so freeing when you can just go, yes, this is inspired by God, and God's word is alive, and I'm I'm going to believe it. So right. we have to end our show today. Yeah. Can I once again? I just thank you so much for being a part of Go Radio, and thank you. And we just tell all of our listeners go out there and and believe it. Thank you, That's Ken.
0: Mm-hmm. Bye bye.